So Psalm 37 is what we're looking at today. And the reason why I was kind of processing this, A, this is one of my favorite psalms of all time, um, especially the first six verses, which is what we're going to look at today. And, and as I was looking at it and just processing through, um, I love the, this time of the year, especially Thanksgiving, as we're reminded to be thankful, right? We're reminded to, be, to, to, be, to have gratitude, to look out in the world and kind of go like, man, right? It's just the idea of focusing in. And I just looked at the idea of just what does it look like for us to just have that, that mindset or that, that way we look at the world like year-round. And I started processing, well, why don't we, right? And I think that it's hard because we live in a chaotic world that's filled with destruction and war and pain and suffering, right? And we live in times that are very uncertain, and I know for many that brings stress and anxiety, um, we live in a culture where there's much um, of what we were used to has changed, and it's not the same anymore. We live in a society that uh, evil it seems to be becoming more and more prevalent, and worse of all, those that are corrupt and wicked and whatever seem to be the ones that are prospering and doing really, really well, right? And so I get it that as we look out and go, man, this world's crazy, and uh, life's crazy. So Kind of the idea today is, is, what does it look like to be thankful in hard times? Because the reality is this, how do we respond when we see all this stuff? If you're anything like me, um, there's a variety of different ways that you could respond, right? I think, for me, I get angry. Um, I get, sometimes get stressed out, I worry, I get anxious, but usually anger is how I respond. And here's the reality. You may know, and I, I, I may know, the theological answers as a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know the answers, right? When times are hard or you look out and you see all the stuff, you kind of go, I know that God is in control, right? God is good. God is working, which is true. Or you look out and you understand the theological aspect of like, you know, evil isn't God's plan. It was a result of sin and all this other stuff. And one day God's going to vanquish it. Um, but... And that might bring some comfort at the time, and that's true. That's all true things. But how does it help right now? Like, how does that actually bring practical help when I'm angry or frustrated or stressed or afraid or whatever else? Because here's the reality. If we're honest, what do we want? We want suffering to end. We want our desires to be met, right? We want um, our plans to work out. We want evil in the world to be over. What are we longing for? We're longing for heaven. We're longing for heaven. We're wanting where God makes all things right. But since that's not going to happen anytime soon that we know of, right, and we, we still are here in the world, how do we live right now in the world in a way that glorifies God and allows us to function in a very thankful and a way of gratitude when times are hard? How do we do that? And I think that David here, um, especially these first six verses, does a very good job of giving us some very practical handles on how to be thankful, how to shine essentially in this dark world. And so um, let's look at it. Psalm 37, verse 1. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then we'll continue on. Psalm of David. It says, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, 
For they soon, uh, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And so David starts off writing this to somebody very specific. Whoever he's writing to, like starting this process off, what they're doing is they're looking out in the world and they're seeing the evildoers prospering and the wicked being successful. And, and he's look, they're looking out and David's saying to them, fret not, like do not be envious, right? Now, if the word fret means to, it involves being angry, but it's being angry consumed with worry, right? So it's this anxious fretting, like it and, and gets I'm frustrated and it's consuming with worry. And envy is essentially being jealous of others, wanting what they have. Now, envy looks different for different people. It's easy to look at other people's stuff and relationships and success and all this stuff and say, I want that. But I think envy becomes very apparent in two different main categories. One, when we're suffering, envy is saying, why me and not them, right? When I'm suffering, why me and not them? But also, when you look at people's, other people's success, envy is saying, why not me? Why them? Right? They are successful doing this. I should get that. What's that communicating? Communicating is, I don't deserve what I'm getting. They deserve that, right? I should have that life. And David is saying, listen, do not fret about all of this. Do not worry about all this. Do not be envy of what they have whether God's blessing it or not. Because here's reality. If, if we're looking out and going, why is this happening to them and not to me? Or why am I experiencing this suffering and they are not? What's happening in that moment is we are focusing and comparing ourselves to what these others have and our focus is not on God. What it is, it's competing and comparing. Competing and comparing hinder thanksgiving. It hinders it. Because we're looking and comparing ourselves to other people, we're competing with what they have, and our focus is on them. And when we do that, what happens? When I compare and when I compete, whether it be to the good or to the evil people, whatever it may be, what is happening is my complaint at its core is against God. Because what I'm saying is I'm saying, I, am saying, I believe that God owes me better. What is that saying? That's saying that I believe I've done enough where God owes me. I don't deserve this. I'm saying at the end of the day, I don't believe that God is good to me. He's not being good to me. And I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like he is. But I think the, the reason why this is a complaint against God is because what we're saying is we're making God a, a means to the end. God is not the end. God is not the goal. It's, it's what he offers me and what he gives me, right? And so... What is cool about David is David reminds this person that he's writing to, hey, listen, all this stuff you're looking at, it seems important, but at the end of the day, what does he say it's going to happen? It's going to fade like grass and wither like a plant. It's fading, right? He's reminding this person, whoever it may be, that the, that the physical and the temporal are, do not have the same value as the spiritual and how God is working like ultimately for our, our good, right? That it fades. So then David transitions to a really healthy response, and he's going to give us three main things to, to, to kind of do, which I think is super helpful. First off, verse 3, he starts off with, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trusting in the Lord, um, I love how we want to keep in mind, as he's talking about trusting in the Lord, 
this dwelling aspect, and, and we're going to get into like befriending faithfulness. That's very shepherd language. Okay, David, his background is he started off as a shepherd, right? He started off as a shepherd. And so a shepherd would take care of sheep. They would lead sheep. There was a lot of that, that stuff going on. And so David, when you were saying like trust the Lord, it's almost as though he is kind of in, implying the idea of, of the, the, the Lord is my shepherd, which is what we're going to look at next week. Psalm 20, or, uh, 23 is what we're looking at next week. But that your idea of trusting the shepherd, that we're redirecting our focus off the evil and the frustrating and all these other things and on to our shepherd who is guiding us. It's almost as though the shepherd's saying, trust me, I'll bring you to green pasture, I'll bring you by still waters, trust me, trust me, trust that the shepherd knows what he's doing. But then he breaks down, what does this trust look like? It's easy to say, I trust God, but what does it look like? The first thing he says, trust the Lord and do good. Doing good, right? When we do good, what it is, it's, it's, it's evidence of the fact that we're trusting God. What we're saying is, I believe, my good shepherd, that how you laid out life to function, how you've designed life to function, the things that you've called us to do and things not to do, I believe that those things, like I'm trusting you that you know better than me, so I'm going to do those things right? So it's not just trusting the Lord and kind of chilling. It's like trusting the Lord and doing good and trusting his design for life. It's essentially a byproduct. It's proof. It's trusting God and how I live. But then he gets into even this next piece, which I love. These two next parts it says, dwell in the land. It's this idea that the shepherd brought us to a place and he's calling, as we're trusting him, it involves dwelling in the land, dwelling where the shepherd brought. Now, the word dwell literally means lay down or find safe pasture or to remain. It is all shepherd language. It's, it's this idea that the shepherd brought the sheep to this spot and, and they, just, they just sit there where he brought them and dwell. Why is that a big deal? because the shepherd brought the sheep to the best place for them. But secondly, I think it's important because often when people are, are frustrated or when we've experienced pain or we're annoyed or we're stressed or whatever it may be, often how we view the solution is, a, is to change our situation, right? If I move or if I get a different job, or if I get a different house, or if I go to get a different church, or if I get different friends, or whatever it may be. Like, these things will change my situation, and, and those things themselves will actually bring satisfaction. It's this idea that a different place, or possession, or person, or position will satisfy. It really is, and I, I used to talk about it all the time in college ministry, when I did college ministry, it's the when and then mentality right? Especially with college-age kids, like, it's like you're, you're in this moment of, of finding out who I am and all this stuff, but often what ends up happening is this idea of, well, once, once I graduate, then I'll really maybe get serious about Jesus, or I'll do this thing, or once I, I, I get my career, or once I get married, or once I have kids, or once my kids are driving, or once my kids graduate, or once my kids are graduate from college, or once my kids are married, or once I retire, or once I pay off the motor, whatever, and then by the time you're like 80, and you're like, 
I've been waiting forever to this thing to magically change, and nothing's changed. Um, my father, early on in his, in his life as following Jesus, used to go to uh, senior care centers and do little Bible studies for him. This was, this was like probably 30 years ago. And there was a guy there, and this guy was um, in a wheelchair, and he was literally on the verge of dying at any moment. And my dad would always talk to him. He's like, hey, I don't know the guy's name. Let's call him Carl. Hey, Carl. Like, you ready to accept Jesus? And he'd always say, I got time. I got time. And uh, he went and saw Carl one last time while he was literally on his deathbed. He's like, Carl, you want to, like, give your life to Jesus? And he's like, I got time. Carl had been saying, I got time for when and then, forever. One day I will, whatever it may be. And so the idea when we see the shepherd bring us to this space and say, remain and dwell where I have you, it's not an idea of giving up and not trying to better ourselves. It's the idea of trusting the shepherd that he brought us to the best place for us to grow. We're believing that the shepherd is good and that he brought us to a place for our good and his glory. Really, in many ways, it's contentment situationally. It's trusting God in where I'm at. But then he moves on and he says, befriend faithfulness. Another word for befriend, really, and I like this better, is feed or graze on God's faithfulness. Feed on God's faithfulness. What a beautiful language to use. I mean, I love the the words there. The idea is that we're being nourished and strengthened by what God has given us. We're, we're, we're finding nourishment. We're feeding on what God has provided. Not what, we're not looking at what we don't have, but we're focused on what God has given us and his faithfulness. What happens when we do this is that our mentality changes and it causes us to look for God's faithfulness in everyday life. Looking for God's faithfulness in everyday life. Like, what has God provided for me? What has God given me? What has God done? How is God at work? Right? We're looking for God in everyday life. And as we're looking for God's generosity, what ends up happening is you start being surprised at how much God is at work in our lives, like personally. And the cool part about all this is it's almost as though we start being nourished by God's faithfulness, by not just what God gives us, but by God himself, by God's very presence. Because at the end of the day, guys, part of being a follower of Jesus is we have this relationship with the God of the universe, and it's not about what God gives me or what he provides for me, but that we actually get God himself. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And it's this idea of finding nourishment and health and strength from what God is and how he's provided. And so what we have here is this contentment practically is that we're trusting God in what we have. And so at the end of the day, contentment, in regards to contentment with God, helps cultivate thankfulness. It affects our thankfulness. Which gets us to verse 4 as we rally through this text at a rapid speed. Verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You may have heard this verse before. Uh, if, you ever, if you're a frequenter of Christian bookstores, it's on a lot of t-shirts, like wall hangings, cups, uh, trust in the Lord and he will give you the, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. David goes right from circumstance, where you're at, what you have, 
dwelling on God, uh, in where God has you, delighting in God, feeding on his faithfulness, right into the heart, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? He moves into the heart space, which I think is beautiful, which is important because as we delight, right, if we delight in someone, what ends up happening is we end up want, like changing and wanting what they want. Like, and he's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. And we also see that he attaches delight with desire, right? Delight with desire. They go hand in hand. Now, what's fascinating about this word um, delight is that it means uh, one of the meanings it can mean is this idea of, of delighting or enjoying something so much that you're pliable or soft. There's a softness involved that as we're enjoying and delighting in God, this idea that it, it softens us, it, it makes us moldable, right? And so when it comes to the idea of, of spiritual things, as we're moving from the physical to the spiritual, from delighting in things that we have to delighting in God, what ends up happening is that we see that God, as we enjoy and, and delight in God, he begins to change us and mold us. And so David is like, listen, let our delight be found in the Lord. Ultimately, right? This spiritual aspect of trusting and enjoying God. And he says, as we do that, he will give us the desires of our heart. Which makes sense. Right, like I mentioned before, as we enjoy and delight in somebody, maybe a spouse, whatever else, we end up liking what they like. Our desires uh, begin to change. But what what's interesting about this verse that I find um, fascinating is that so often I've heard it um, mis—I don't know—miscommunicate what it's saying. Right? So often people say, "Oh yeah, so the idea of I delight myself in God, then He'll give me what I want. Right? He'll give me my desires." And so I'm going to just delight really hard because the more I delight in God, he's going to give me what I want. This verse is not saying that, not even a little bit. The idea is that as I delight in God and as I am impliable and as he's, I'm delighting him, what ends up happening is he literally gives me desires. He gives me desires. He gives me new desires. I think anybody that has been following Jesus for any amount of time have maybe noticed that your desires have changed. That things that you thought you'd never uh, want, things of God, maybe your desires were for other things, like, man, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't like these things. Like, God literally not just changes our desires, but he gives us desires. I think that this is important because so often, especially this goes all the way back in church history to a lot of the monastics, which is monks, right, is this idea that um, it's bad to, to desire anything, like desires are bad, right? And, and to get what I actually, to enjoy life or to enjoy and do what I actually maybe really want to do is a totally bad thing. Now, sometimes it can be, right? Our emotions are deceiving and all these things. But I'm telling you what, if you're delighting in the Lord, one of the things I always love to ask people, like I want to I, I serve the Lord, or I want to do more, or I want to do this. I always ask them, what do you want to do? If you're delighting in God, what do you want to do? Because there's a good possibility that as you're delighting in the Lord, he's literally giving you desires. He's giving you good things. And sometimes it's a good thing, like, I want to do this. Like, great, do it. Like, do it with all your effort, right? Do it. Not always, but a lot of times if we're delighting in the Lord, he is giving us desires, Right? And so the cool part about this is it's not that if I delight myself in the Lord, I get what I want, but as I delight myself in the Lord, I get what I get I want, right? 
I end up wanting what I get. It's like he gives you something, and you're like, I didn't even know I wanted that. You're like, it's like, I know. Like, this is great. We are actually, we actually, yeah, want what we get rather than uh, do to get. And in many ways, God becomes our desire. So then we get to the, to the last verse that we're going to look at, verse 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So what about my future, though, right? It's easy to trust the Lord, delight in the Lord, but what about, like, my goals? What about the things I'm trying to accomplish in life? Listen, that's okay. God's giving you desires. I love how it transitions from dwelling, feeding on God's faithfulness, then it moves into, like, what am I delighting in? What do I want to do? Well, then, how, what do I do with the, the burden of my future, right? Like, what do I do with this weighing of all my goals and, and the timeline that I've set for myself and the goals for my family and all of these things? What do I do? And we have David saying, commit your way to the Lord. Now, the word commit here is a really packed word, okay, in the Hebrew. The word commit literally means to roll. That's it, to roll over. That's what the word means. And the, and the picture is, it's the idea that servant, they live very much of a servant culture or, or an animal like a donkey. There was a burden on the, the person or the animal that was weighing them down and committing was rolling that burden onto something or someone else to carry. That's what it means. I can't think of a better word to describe our future, our way. That's what the way is talking about, our future, the way that we're going, the trajectory we're on. Like, I get it. There is a burden that's involved with that. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to retire in time? How are we going to buy the house or buy the thing or pay the bills or whatever it may be? And this good shepherd is calling us to roll over that burden Onto the Lord. And then he says two little words that I like and trust him, <laughs> which I find so absolutely hilarious because I'm all about rolling stuff onto the Lord, but I want to help him. I want to hold it up there, Maria. I want him to drop it. Like, I'm going to help you. I'm just going to carry this one little piece because I got it. I'm going to help bring it to pass, right? It says, commit your way to the Lord and trust him. We're giving it to him and like hands off, like, okay, like, I'm going to do what I can do, but like, I'm trusting you with the burden of my future. That's scary. Because what happens, he, what happens if he doesn't do what I want? What if he doesn't work my plans out? What if he doesn't provide me the future that I, I long for? What, what, what if? But we know he's the good shepherd, right? We've already, we know that he's brought us to a place to dwell and remain and to feed on his faithfulness. We know that he's, as we delight in him, he's giving us desires and longings. And, and we know that the future is, is hard sometimes, it's scary, and who knows how to bring it about. And he's calling us to trust him with that. Trust him with that. Trusting that he's good, trusting that God loves me, trusting that God knows what is best. We're trusting him. We're letting God carry that burden. And what does he bring to pass, right? As we're talking about our future here, he says, trust, uh, commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. What is he going to do? 
verse 6 is, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday sun. My righteousness as light, my justice as noonday sun. God's desire for our future ultimately is that we shine. It's that we shine. We shine bright. Our righteousness and our justice. Righteousness is ultimately speaks to the relationship with us and God. Justice involves a relationship with us and one another. Okay? And he's saying that what God is wanting to bring to pass is that we shine. That's what he's working at. This really makes Romans 8, 28 stand out, I think, in this mind, as we look at it this way. It says, and for we know that those that love God, that all things work together for, those, for, for good, for those that are called according to his purpose. And the verse after that says this, for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So all things work together for the good. We've heard that for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. But then as you go on, what is the good that he's bringing about? That we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. That we might shine. That's what he's working out. That's the future that God is working out. And so yeah, practically and situationally, it may not work out. It might. But ultimately, God's desire is that as he brings us through life, we become more and more like Jesus. And here's at the end of the day. As we trust the Lord, he opens our eyes to see that we're right where we need to be and we can find satisfaction in that space. And as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he changes and gives us new desires. And as we commit our way to the Lord, he brings to pass a future where we're made more like Jesus and we're able to shine in this dark world. At the end of the day, our burdens can totally affect our thanksgiving. And so as we close out our time, I want to just look at Jesus in this story. Because I, one of the things I always want to encourage you, when you're reading the Old Testament, reading Psalms, always see how it connects to Jesus. Okay? The goal of this, this time that we had today is not just to leave here with a checklist. All right, I need to delight, and I need to commit, and I like my future, and there's like this burden I got to roll over, like, right? And you leave here, and then like Monday comes, and you're like, man, I've already screwed up, right? So there is some practicals. But let's look at Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the ultimate light in dark places. And where David's writing to the author, uh, this person that was looking out at the evil and looking out at the, those prospering and getting angry, we see that Jesus too saw evil and saw suffering, but he didn't get angry. In fact, he entered into the evil and into the suffering and into the brokenness of this world. He entered into it and he let the wickedness destroy him. Like he experienced it firsthand so that he could bring true life and true forgiveness. So for us, we don't have to fret because Jesus has conquered evil and will judge it one day. Also, Jesus had to trust God. Jesus had to trust God and with like where he had brought him in such a crazy way, in the midst of suffering, trying to be faithful. Remember Jesus in the garden where he says, not my will but yours be done to the Father the night before he was crucified? when he was tempted to leave and escape the cross, Jesus too was put in a place where he had to remain, right? He remained on the cross. We can trust our shepherd because Jesus gave himself up for his sheep. And then lastly, Jesus also delighted in the Lord. 
and he gave him the desires of his heart. Do you know what that desire was? It was us. Hebrews 12.2 says that for the joy that was set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. The joy that was set before Jesus, the joy that caused him to remain on the cross and endure suffering, despising the shame, to finish the work that he began, the joy that was set before him is you and I. That we get to be with him. He did it so that we could be with him. He loves us that much. In fact, we looked at it a few weeks back in John chapter 17 as Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. The desire as Jesus delighted himself in the Father that was given to him was you and I, that we get to be with him for eternity. And so we can delight in Jesus because he first delighted in us. And lastly, the burden. Jesus also had a heavy burden to carry, right? The burden of living a perfect life as a human being, that's a pretty big burden. The burden of the cross, it's a pretty big burden. But unlike us, Jesus didn't roll over that burden to anyone else to carry. He carried it by himself, alone, to the point where he was completely alone, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he carried that burden alone so that we could be with him. And that burden crushed him, it tells us in Isaiah 53. And he died. But he rose again and he eventually obviously crushed the power of sin, fulfilling what was said all the way back to Genesis. So now he asks us to give him our burdens. And we can trust him with our burdens because he has already carried them. And so as the worship team comes up and we can just kind of close out our time with a couple more songs.